if you watch the news, or even if you've just been outside recently, it seems as though there's a, a wave of cold, wet weather sweeping across the nation. I don't know about you, but for some reason, for me, that is all the more reasoning and justification to curl up under a blanket with something great to read. And it's a great excuse to travel into that interdimensional wonderland where we can always find the newest edition of the spinner rack stocked, ready to go with all of the possibilities available in the comic book world from DC Comics. There's five books I'm going to pick and share with you right here today on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. This is issue and episode number 35, right after, in the midst of that Thanksgiving Day lull, the weekend of recovery, and one more month a little less, actually, to prepare for coming Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, and so many other wintertime celebrations. While we're waiting for all that all to come our way, let's go ahead and dig down now, load up an extra plate of Thanksgiving leftovers, and settle in for this edition of DC Comics News, Spinner Rack. For my first choice, I'm going to start out with Justice League Dark, number 17. I really enjoyed this issue. Great storytelling from James Tynan IV, with Javi Fernandez providing beautiful art. Dark, realistic colors from John Callis. Rob Lay providing very exquisite lettering. And Stephen Segovia and Rain Barreto providing the cover, with Clayton Crane providing the variant cover. I liked both covers, to be honest. But what I really liked was the story inside. A story from Mr. James Tynan. One that tells us the origins of Circe, presented from her viewpoint. A story of a young woman, a princess, married to a king so she can become a queen, only to realize that it was his goal to make her his possession. A king she slays, and after leaving behind a kingdom that turns against her for standing up for herself, she finds herself on the shores of a mysterious island, making a deal with the devil. One who goes by the name Hecate, or Hecate. Never quite sure how to pronounce that. What I am sure about is that Circe knew exactly what she was doing when she made her deal. She simply wanted the power to effect change against those who wished to harm, belittle, imprison, or diminish her. She received her gift, understanding, as Hecate says, that there will need to be a return of the promise, a deal that includes doing something for Hecate at some point. Circe accepts without question, has her revenge, and it's now when we find her inhabiting the body of Wonder Woman, who had traveled to a dreaming plane in an attempt to stop Circe, only to find that instead she had allowed Circe to swap places with her, to allow Circe to use Wonder Woman's body as a vessel. Now, the majority of the team has been distracted by the fact that Kirk, otherwise known as Manbat, recently 
injected himself with a new version of his toxin, one that required Bobo and Khalid, the assistant to Dr. Fate, to stop him. And then, of course, there was the attack on the Swamp Thing, who has now been reduced to a small, rotted glop of goo and needs their help. But it's not enough to distract the detective chimp from recognizing that Wonder Woman is no longer in control, and it's only moments before Cersei makes her move, gathers together her team, and makes her attack on the Justice League Dark. Granted, the team does have a reservoir of powerful ancient artifacts residing below the Hall of Justice, but how they can use them against the powers of Cersei and her team, an impressive sort including Solomon Grundy, Florian McMahon, and so many others. And meanwhile, Wonder Woman in the Dreaming Plane is attempting to do something about this. Except, turns out, she's not alone. You'll have to reach the final page to discover who is with her. But the surprise is one full of fun and fright. I think it's difficult to maintain and sustain a story that feels like it's so pressing and yet at the same time requires these great pauses to let us, the readers, catch up and also dig down a bit and understand all the different levels that are occurring, even though the story seems like it should just be rushing from beginning to end. If there's one thing that I'll always appreciate, it's the gift of a team of writers and artists who can take a story, bring it to a heightened sense of suspense, and then keep us there for as long as possible. This is another great tension-filled issue, and a reason why I'm happy to start off episode number 35 of The Spinner Rack with a solid 5 out of 5 for Justice League Dark, number 17. Now for my second pick on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, I've chosen Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Infinite Crisis, number 1. This is a story I really enjoyed because it takes a moment in DC history that I'm not the biggest fan of, and it gives it a new outcome, one that shows that, at the time, even the best intentions were warped by forces that were pressing against heroes, villains, and ordinary people alike. Here's another great story coming from one Mr. James Tynan. I feel like we just spoke about him. A great art team supporting him with Aaron Lepresti on the pencils, Matt Ryan providing the inks, Romulo Fajardo Jr. providing colors, Rob Lay with the letters, and a cover from Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson. There was a moment during the Infinite Crisis storyline where Blue Beetle confronts Maxwell Lord and warns him that despite being underrecognized and for the most part not really considered to be any sort of a threat, let alone an influence, Ted Cord, aka the second Blue Beetle, has seen a larger plan at play, and after doing some research, his keen mind, which doesn't rank up there with those like Maxwell Lord or anyone else of a first-year caliber, 
Mr. Ted Cord has figured out exactly what's going on. And when he confronts Maxwell Lord in the original history of the DC universe, Maxwell Lord kills Blue Beetle. And it begins the downward spiral of a terrible series of events. In this version, Blue Beetle doesn't hold to his values, which was the original reason he ended up dying, and agrees to join Maxwell Lord, only to then turn against him and kill Max, and then become the Black King of Checkmate, a background organization that was the platform that Maxwell Lord was using to launch things like Brother Eye and the OMAX scenario. Blue Beetle, using his understanding and digging into all the information that Maxwell Lord had gathered, begins putting his own plan into place, believing that he can do what Maxwell Lord couldn't and bring about a better conclusion. The consequences of this lead Ted to merge with Brother Eye and the Omax to take on the Justice League to threaten Batman, and then to even face off against his best friend, Booster Gold, on more than one occasion, one of them with serious consequences. I think there's a value in telling the version of the story that hadn't been told. It's something I've seen from DC, it's something that I remember from Marvel Comics, and it was always an opportunity, when done correctly, to show just how things could have been different, and maybe still ended up very, very much the same. I was intrigued by the takes on Ted Cord, the way Blue Beetle not only becomes a twisted version of the man he always emulated, the first Blue Beetle, Dan Garrett, but also the feeling from Blue Beetle that even with all of this power, there's still something he's trying to make up for, and because of that, his intentions don't have the purity or the right-headedness that he believes they do for this reason, even though he believes he can do differently than Max and bring about a conclusion that is not as twisted, and even though he is able to accomplish great things like prevent the Ranthanagar War and establish the Omax as a force to help provide balance within the universe. When it comes to facing off against Justice League and the other heroes, he eventually begins to view them as the same threat that Maxwell Lord had seen them as. The conflict has many similarities to the past, and yet is tinged all the more so because with Ted Cord, there had always been, at least for me, a feeling that he represented the best of the DC universe, and that his death at the beginning of Infinite Crisis was something that had removed that quality or value of innocence from the world. Instead, in this version, that innocence, that purity, that noble quality, is twisted. And I'm not sure which ends up being the sadder tale. The ending is powerful and impressive and even moves our narrator, Tempest Fugonaut, in his story, telling the tales of the dark multiverses that came to be and that, sadly, are always twisted versions of the history we have known in the DC Universe in our comic books. I thought this was a really great job. 
And again, Mr. Tynan knows how to take an event that should seem very straightforward and then hold the degree of suspense that seems to mesmerize at least me and maybe you. I have no problem giving this book a solid 5 out of 5. It's one of the reasons why I love doing a great episode of The Spinner Rack like this and then sharing it with you. Have a different thought. Have a different choice. Have a comment altogether different. Well, stay tuned in the end for all the ways that I let you know how to reach out to me and the rest of us here at DC Comics News. But right now, with two books out of the way, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to share with you a little information about the goings-on here at DC Comics News, things you should know about, things we don't mind repeating, and then we'll be back with my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Thanks for staying with us after the break. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> no. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. And welcome back. Thanks for taking that quick break with us. Learning all there is that's going on at DC Comics News all the ways you can be a part, and then coming back here with me to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 35. I'm still your host, Seth Singleton. We've still got three books to get through, so let's go ahead and start with my third choice. That would be Martian Manhunter, number 10 out of 12. A great story, titled Through Carnage to Joy by Steve Orlando, with art by Riley Rosmo. Colors by Ivan Placencia, Darren Bennett providing the letters, and Riley Rossimo on the cover with Josh Middleton providing the variant cover. With only two issues remaining after this one, Martian Manhunter is quickly coming to a close, and the elements that have been building are starting to pick up speed. The journey has been one where John Johns has been working with his partner and revealing more about himself and learning about her in the process. Through that, 
there has been a degree of trust that is now put to the test when John must enter his mind with his partner and face his greatest challenges. The Martian emotions that have manifested into physical entities. Shame, anger, and duty. I think this is a really interesting way of showing how the Martian mind, its process and ability to be so much more than ours, and also the challenges that come with the ability to understand mental processes to a degree that they are physical and lifelike, much like the external world that we're all so familiar with. The challenge is that things like shame, anger, and duty become very dangerous personalities and, in this case, entities that can bring about great physical and mental harm. And each one pushes and challenges John and his partner. And at the end, what's left is a Martian Manhunter who realizes that what he needs is someone he can trust. And only by being as completely open and vulnerable with his partner to let her in and show her just what it is that he's afraid of and why he is who he is, that they can finally come to a place where they can take on the greatest threat either of them have ever faced. Along with it will be a new challenge, someone they've been trying to rescue from abduction, who has already been drastically changed from the person that they were searching for, and what it will mean when they find this abductee and the person who's taken them captive. I really love the way this story built these ideas that John has been running from into something that he has to face. And because of that, I feel that overall, what we get is a story not just about John, not just about his challenges and his conflicts, but about what he has to do in order to overcome them and who he actually has to end up relying on and what that means for the kinds of relationships he can build. I've always loved the Manhunter because I believe that he had this innocence to him that made him so endearing. Reading this series has taught me that that innocence was actually unfounded, and for the most part there is a depth that can only be created through lifetimes of pain and attempts at redemption. And as we come closer to that final moment in this story, and those remaining two issues, I believe that overall, the understanding that this story has been building is going to create a foundation that stories about the Manhunter can build upon. And I really think that this is an interesting development on two different points of the universe. We have Martian Manhunter, and his development from what we've known to who he actually is. Meanwhile, in Event Leviathan, a different Manhunter has taken a completely different tact and provided a polar opposite, one that measures two different ideas about what it means 
to be a manhunter. I really enjoyed this issue. I think all of the issues of Martian Manhunter have been phenomenal. And it's actually why I'm happy to give this one a solid 5 out of 5. Now, I've admitted in the past when it's been on as a featured book on the Spinner Rack that I do have a recognition with the artistic style, something that draws me back to Green Lantern Mosaic and other approaches to art that leave an impression that Martian Manhunter is so great at demonstrating and also causes it to walk in the footsteps of all of those great stories and great visuals that came before. Again, a solid 5 out of 5 for me on this, my third choice for the DC Comics New Spinner Rack. Maybe it's the weather, maybe it's something else entirely, but there does seem to be a bit of a darker theme going with this edition of the DC Comics New Spitter Rack. It doesn't end with my fourth choice, which is Supergirl Annual Number 2, a story about Supergirl after she's been infected, since she is one of those who has been changed by the toxin released by the Batman who laughs from the Dark Multiverse. In this story, the best day of her life, we have a great tale from Robert Venditti. His writing is supported by Laura Braga on art, with Chris Sotomayor providing the colors and Tom Napolitano the letters. Victor Bogdanovic, Jonathan Glapin, and FCO Placencia provide the cover. And I actually like the sort of shadowy tone to that cover. Curious to hear what you think. Stay tuned to the end for ways you can let me know your thoughts. But what really stuck for me about this story is the fact that Supergirl has in many times, either in comics or other media, revealed that her life on Krypton was very different from Clark Kent or Kal-El's. He was just a baby when he left. His memories of Krypton supplied by memory crystals that exist within his Fortress of Solitude. But Kara's life was much different. She had grown up on Krypton, reached her teenage years, begun to develop crushes, loves, wants, desires, plans for her future, until it was all taken away. And in this story, we have a moment to see some of the best that Kara remembers from her past. And while it's enjoyable and revealing, there's also the sense that a foreboding shadow is on the horizon. Now, of course, we know the eventual fate of Krypton, and yet there feels as though something else is just as ominous. It's not until some point in the issue that this revelation is made clear, and it's less about a revelation for the reader, who I believe already knows a majority about what's going on entering this issue, if not from the cover alone, then perhaps from the other stories that have revealed what it is that happened to Kara and why she is fighting this toxin. But it's the recognition on her part of how much of an effect it's had on her that is revealed through the process of this story. And that's what makes the story so engaging. 
Now with Robert Venditti, I'm not surprised. Uh, his work on Freedom Fighters, Hawkman, have really impressed me with how he can take a story, pull, twist, stretch it out, and in doing so, reveal so much more than you might expect, and to raise it above just a straightforward A to B narrative. Because of that, what we get is uh, a value that's created through all the elements in this story, and it's one that makes the challenges, the twists, and I think, interestingly enough, and more importantly, the heartbreaks, that much more compelling. I was curious to see how this infected storyline would play out, and with each character, I've been more impressed, just like I have with each story. I'm looking forward to seeing how others will be told, because if nothing else, Supergirl has demonstrated to me that this change, while it might seem simple on the surface, clearly affects these characters on so many levels that even if they come out on the other side, even if there is a chance to find a cure and overturn or defeat this infection, they might never actually return to who they were, and it seems as though if that's true, the Batman who laughs will get the final laugh. A beautiful story, great art, a sense of being on Krypton and what it means to be there in spirit and to never actually be able to leave it in spirit. A really great story that I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on and one that I'm happy to give a really strong 4 out of 5. Not quite a 5, and those elements just didn't pop for me. But if you think you have a different score, I'd love to hear it. Stay tuned to the end for all the ways you can let me know. Let's go ahead and move into my fifth and final choice. And for that fifth and final choice, I went with John Constantine. Hellblazer, number one. I really enjoyed this story titled A Green and Pleasant Land, part one. It was written by Simon Spurrier, with art by Aaron Campbell, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Aditya Bidikar, a really classic cover by John Paul Leon, and a really gorgeous variant cover from Charlie Adler. And the story inside lives up to the covers. This is John Constantine returned to a place he thought he knew, but has clearly changed in his absence. And the more things have changed, the more he has seen just how he's no longer the person he thinks he was, let alone the person he thinks he's capable of demonstrating or portraying. Through this adjustment, John makes some mistakes, gets kidnapped by a local gang, asked to perform, writes on their behalf, meets a very interesting bouncer, and discovers a dark secret that, as he describes them, angels are placing upon the world. It's a different kind of infection, 
it's a different kind of menace. And it's one that will challenge Constantine in a way that I think will shake up his bravado and put a little bit of a stumble into his swagger. It's a gorgeous book, beautiful 48 pages, lovely art with great story that not only introduces John Constantine in his own book to the world, but in the process takes what we know about him, strips so much of it away, and puts him in a place where he's rebuilding and showing us how the world he's about to create will be so very similar and yet so interestingly different from the story that led us to John Constantine that we've come to know and will potentially bring about some interesting developments for the character he can become. I thought this was a really great story that was matched by art that shadowed everything he does. There's a detective noir quality so often employed in stories about or featuring John Constantine. This book takes all of those best elements, and it's almost like a flashlight or a candle. I go with a candle in the darkness. There's light, but it's flickering. It reveals a great deal, and yet as soon as it moves, it feels as though the shadows change all their shapes before you can examine them again. And that moving the light from one direction to the next is only going to bring about a change in what you thought you saw the first time around. I'm looking forward to issue number two of John Constantine Hellblazer. I thought issue number one was a perfect five out of five. And such a great way to end this edition of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Now, as I mentioned, this is episode number 35. And you can catch episodes 1 through 34 and so many other great shows by subscribing to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's available on all the major platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. If you haven't yet, head over, subscribe to the podcast, and rate and review. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube, and let us know you're trying to get our attention with the tag at DC Comics News. Leave us your thoughts, your comments, your questions, your scores, and Keep in mind that when you do, you're not only talking to me, but everyone here at the DC Comics News Podcast, and that when you subscribe, you have the opportunity to enjoy great content like the DC Podcast News Team, as well as the newest edition, I Am The Night, from our good friend Mr. Steve J. Ray, an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series, as told by Steve and his amazing team. You can find me here each and every week, hosting the DC Comics News Spinner Rack and sharing my favorite comics from DC Comics right here with you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and leave us all your scores, questions, and comments. In the meantime, I'm going to curl up, 
with my sleeping dogs under this blanket. And keep in mind that motto we love to share here at DC Comics News. And that is to always read more comics. Thanks for joining me for episode number 35. Can't wait to see you next time.